Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I wanted to talk about the heart tonight. And uh, I'm calling this talk, You Are Loving Awareness. And this will be a a different kind of a talk uh, for me um, because uh, it's particularly um, honoring my teacher and mentor uh, and teacher and mentor to so many, really grandfather and mentor of our whole scene, uh, Ramdas, who passed away in December. And that was one of his main teachings in the last years of his life. The mantra that he had for himself and gave to anyone who was willing to take it up. I am loving awareness. And it's a different kind of talk because it's also gonna be a bit uh, more personal, at least for, uh, for much of the um, first part. And hopefully it'll be uh, useful as far as the teachings that I receive from him throughout my life. And I, I was thinking, well, is this okay to do this kind of a talk? And then I remember when, when Joseph would talk about his journey or Jack about his, it was always, oh, good, now I get to not have to deal with concepts like dependent origination and just hear somebody's story. So I hope it goes over uh, easy. <clears throat> or gets in easy. And hopefully there'll be some, uh, some good, useful Dharma points as, as we go through it. So as I say, um, he was Ramdas, Richard Alpert, Baba Ramdas, Ramdas, um, was really the grandfather to our scene and is as much a part of our lineage in some ways as um, Ajahn Chah and uh, Mahasi Sayadaw. I was just thinking there's, uh, he should be in the gratitude hut and I think I'm, I'll just put in a word to see about making that happen. Because he, in my age, my generation, um, people in the, who were growing up and, and expanding their consciousness in the 60s uh, were finding there's a whole other world out there than nine to five and the American dream um, and were searching and he was like a Pied Piper uh, in the consciousness expanding era but then he discovered the Dharma when he went to India uh, and came back as Ramdas and wrote a book called Be Here Now that changed my life and many people's and really had a whole generation move from 
experimenting with consciousness through uh, psychedelics and other mind uh, explorations to spirituality. How many people have read Be Here Now? Wow, great. Now, if you didn't put your hand up, I bet you're saying, I've got to get to that book. <laughs> so this is Be Here Now. It's called, actually, Remember, Be Here Now. And pretty much, if you just remember those four words, that's the whole deal. Um, that's all the instructions you need. Uh, but when I read that book, something came through those pages that I never could have imagined. And so I'm up, I have the table up here because I want to share with you um, the energy that came through. And this is, um, as probably many of you will recognize, Neem Karoli Baba. Let me see if I have it so everyone can see it. And um, I don't know how it works, but when I read the book, some energy came through that opened my heart in a way that I'd never experienced before. And as Ramdas told his story and had this amazing gift of communication, he could be a clear enough channel for that energy to come through. And it came through in, uh, in that book and in his teachings. And I carried it around like a, a Bible for, it came out in 71 and uh, it was my guide, it was my go-to book whenever I got confused. You probably have a book like that yourself. It's great when you do. Uh, and then I went out to um, the first summer at Naropa Institute, which is now Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado in 1974, because he was going to be there. And this was like a spiritual summer camp that was really the start of Buddhism, other than Zen Buddhism, uh, Buddhism planted in America. He invited Joseph. Uh, actually, Ramdas invited jo Joseph. Trungpa Rinpoche invited Jack, and Joseph and Jack, and Sharon, who was uh, just, uh, I think, 21, this uh, yeah, young woman. Uh, they all spent that first summer together and connected, and out of that, they decided to go and, and teach. Uh, but I was going to see Ramdas in, in that first, uh, first encounter. When I got there, I, I asked if I could have a, an interview, spend some time. He was seeing people. He'd just write a note, and somehow there it was. Can you imagine carrying around a Bible and then just saying, can I speak to you? And he said, oh sure, come at three o'clock. You know, little note, oh my God. And that first interview was quite profound for me as many subsequent over the years. Um, I, um, I asked him about meditation because I had been doing TM and a few other things and he said, um, go check this guy Goldstein out. He's pretty good. And, and then I fell in love with the Dharma when I heard Joseph. I also asked him about 
uh, I was I was getting over a um, a really painful um, heart ache as a uh, uh, first love in my life. Uh, we broke up, and it was um, maybe about uh, ten, no, it was almost a year into it, and I asked him about how to how to how to heal this heart. And he said, um, among other things, he said, you know, um, you are thinking that that person took your love and now you're lost without it. But they didn't take your love. They just helped awaken it. You can't lose it. It's right inside of you. You say, everyone, everything else seems to have its own karmic unfolding, but when it comes to that person, they weren't supposed to, this is not how the script was supposed to be. They came in, opened your heart, and showed you you can love. Many other things happened in, in that first interview and uh, in that summer at Naropa, where I fell in love with Buddha Dharma. But uh, it can get a little lonely if you don't have a sangha. And I was going back to New York. I lived in New York for many years. Uh, I lived in New York for my first 29 years, I should say. And I went back to New York. I was a school teacher. There was no sangha at all. And I, the one thing I believed in was, uh, was Vipassana, Dharma practice, Buddhist practice. But uh, Joseph said, you know, Ramdas is having this small scene for... Uh, for people who are um, dedicated um, practitioners, and it might be good for you. And I went and had a meeting with him to see if it would work out. It was a small scene. It was about 35 people that would meet weekly in Manhattan by invitation only. And uh, in that, among other things, in that first interview, he was hearing me and uh, hearing what my practice was like and how devoted I was to it. And uh, one of the things he said was, um, uh, you know, this is a, a devotional scene, a bhakti scene, you know, chanting and mala beads and all kinds of, you know, Hindu stuff. And, um, and he, uh, he said, um, well, um, Maybe it'll work out, uh, but uh, there's one thing I, I want to ask of you that you need to do. I said, yeah. He said, you need to give up your meditation. I said, whoa. That's the one thing I believed in. Right? He said, yeah, um, you, you have to let go of it. And I said, um, I was so wanting to be part of this scene, but I couldn't just easily say, oh, sure, yes. I said, can I have a little, a few days to think about it? And I called up Joseph. <laughs> and he said, I said, he wants me to, to stop my practice. Do you think that's okay? And Joseph said, well, look, what's he going to do? Tell you to not be aware You might as well go for it. You might as well see what it is. I called him back and I said, okay, I'm in. But 
I didn't quite know what to do, actually. Uh, and we were supposed to, it was a heavy duty, not heavy duty, it was a strong sadhana. There was diet and, and yoga and practice and, uh, and celibacy and, and you're supposed to be meditating two hours a day. But I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. So after, I was confused. And after about a week or two, I called him up and I said, hey, listen, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm meditating. What should I do? And there was silence on the other side of the line. And he said, um, hmm, why don't you try Vipassana? <laughs> I said, oh, wait a moment. And he, was, he said, very good practice. You're mindful in every moment. You just see moment to moment your experience. You know. And then he was laughing like it was a big joke. And that was one of many lessons where he was showing you have to let go of any attachment, including the meditation. Hmm. That, those were fierce days, by the way, in those, uh, those early days. Um, it, was, it wasn't all love and light. It could be very fierce. And that first class that I went to, just remembering, he, um, there was one other person in the class who was... Uh, Buddhist practitioner who got into a, a little debate with him around emptiness and the Dharma and stuff like that. And it, it got a little bit edgy. And at some point, he turned to me and he said, he's the only friend you have in this room. <laughs> and then he kicked him out of the class. I don't know whether it was a teaching for me or what, but he said, uh, I don't think this will work for you. I gulped a lot. But it was, um, it all worked out. And for, um, for the next year, we were in this class for a year, happened, um, I kept on going back and forth. Am I, a, am I a Buddhist? Am I a bhakta? Back and forth. What, what am I? And, uh, and he kept on saying, I, and I would go to him, I, I don't know where I fit in. You know, all the, the Sri Ram, J Ram and stuff, as beautiful it is, it just didn't do it for me. As much as I loved to sing, there was chanting and it went on and on. And, but, but Buddhism, I, I was very lonely in my apartment in New York and, and wanting Sangha, and there was so much love there. And so I kept on going back and forth like that. And then he said, don't worry about picking your path. Your path will pick you. And one day, towards the end of the, uh, the time there, it hit me very um, profoundly Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji's instructions, his basic instructions, it's the name of the foundation uh, that now disseminates Ramdas's teachings. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. Those are the three instructions. And one day it hit me that the three uh, roots of happiness that counteract the three poisons are 
non-hatred, non-greed, and non-delusion. Just flipping around the order a bit. And it hit me, those are the same thing. Love everyone, non-hatred. Serve everyone, non-greed, a generous spirit. Remember God is, remember the Dharma. Just, rem, just stay connected to the Dharma. Serve the Dharma. And um, then I stopped going back and forth like a, a yo-yo. Maybe I'll, just in case I, I'll just share the story now. I, there's another story that happened on that very first interview. I'll just put it in here. And some of you have heard this. Uh, that I think is really important for us all to consider. You know, just deciding whether or not it was appropriate for me. He um, he said, "Well, let me ask you. You know, this is this is a, a, a bhakti scene." Uh, and he said, "Let me ask you, do you love Jesus?" And I thought for a moment, and I said, mm, "I like Jesus." He said, no, but do you love Jesus? And I said, you know, I, I really love his teachings, but I don't know if I could say I love Jesus like I have a sense that you think I should. He said, oh. Well, um, do you love Krishna? Pause. I like Krishna. <laughs> Just the embodiment of celebration and and loving life, and but I don't know if I love Krishna. And then he said, well, let me ask you, do you love God? And I said, you know, Ramdas, I was raised Jewish, and I don't know whether it was a children's Bible book I had when I was young or what image, but when I would think of God, I think of this very powerful man was a man with a big beard and a book and a pen saying you're going to have a good day and you're not and so rather than loving god it i it was really more uh it put the fear of god into me so when i hear the word god I translate it in my mind to the Dharma, which for me just represented the, the mystery, the, uh, the perfection of all things, and just the, the unknowable. Uh, and then he said, oh, okay, well, let me ask, do you love the Dharma? And that one, no hesitation. I said, oh, absolutely. He said, you sure? I said, absolutely. And then he said, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? I said, no. He said, well, go ahead. What do you mean? Just tell the Dharma you love it. I said, really? He said, yeah, go ahead, just say, I love you, Dharma. He said, I'll say it with you. You say it, no, well, I'll say it with you. I felt completely stupid, but I said, I love you, Dharma. 
And he said, I love you, Dharma. He said, keep saying it. I said, I love you, Dharma. Back. And by the third or fourth time, I just, I felt it. I said, I love you, Dharma. At which point, tears started streaming down my face. And he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. That's good. <laughs> and it's one thing I, I want us all to realize, whether or not you realize it, you love the Dharma. It might not come out in those words, but there's something in you that got you here that you couldn't ignore. And there's something when it's rich and juicy and heartfelt that makes the practice so much different than just in-breath, out-breath. So don't miss the fact that you love the Dharma or whatever words work for you. When I first came out to California, I, um, I was invited to teach a, uh, a class, a 10-week class at a place called Holistic Life University that no longer exists in San Francisco. A friend asked me. And I went to Joseph, uh, and I said, what do you think? And he said, yeah, it sounds okay. You know, he wasn't like saying, wow, go get him. He was saying, yeah, better you than him with something like that. <laughs> uh, and then I went to, um, to Ramdas and I said, what do you think? And he said, yeah, I think it's a good idea. And when you finish teaching the 10 weeks, uh, give them an experience of uh, intensive practice and lead a weekend. I said, really? He said, yeah, you should do it. And that was the start of my teaching not just classes, but uh, more intensive practice, which I did for a number of years before was invited to teach uh, longer retreats. Uh, but when I started teaching and teaching retreats in uh, big venues like Yucca Valley, uh, it was hard. It was really scary. Uh, and I was very, very shy. And there I was with like these superstars, the rock stars of the Dharma scene. And I'd be teaching with Joseph and Jack and Sharon. They were all teaching the same, together in those days. And I'd, Joseph would give a talk and just blow everyone away with his clarity and just, wow, so profound. Then Jack would we give a discourse and weave that spell that he does over everyone and just, wow, you know. And then Sharon would give a talk and tears coming down people's eyes as she talked about loving kindness and all. And then I'd have to give the talk. <laughs> and I knew if I was in the audience, I'd be saying, get that guy off and get Goldstein back on, you know. And it was really painful. Um, and finally, it got so so painful as I, when things got that bad, I said, um, Ramdas, could I speak with you? And I, I met him at, an, at the airport, San Francisco airport. He said, I'm taking off tomorrow. You meet me at the gate. In those days, you could go to the gate, right? And we spent uh, some time at the gate. And then I explained to him my 
situation and how, how hard it was my complaining, my comparing mind, my complaining mind and my comparing mind. And, um, and he, he said, you know, Joseph Goldstein's already taken. Don't try to be another Joseph Goldstein. He said, you just be the best Jamie Barras you can be. I was Jamie in those days. You know, you might find that he's okay. And um, it took me a while, but those words really got into my heart. Just be who I am. You just be who you are. As Oscar Wilde says, uh, everyone else is taken, so you might as well just be yourself. A couple of more anecdotes and then want to get to loving awareness. Um, a few years ago, uh, we went to visit him in, in Hawaii, where he's living in Maui the last oh, many years of his life. Um, and, uh, and we were having some, some time together, uh, Jane and, and I, and there was this issue that I wanted his take on because I really wanted him to confirm my position, right? And I said, there's this and this, you know, what do you think? And he thought for a while, you know, he had a stroke in 1997, so his words uh, were, uh, were quite um, spacious and halting, but his teaching was brilliant. And he heard my brief, and, um, and he said, um, you know, it's all about the journey from here to here. And when he said it, it just completely evaporated the stance. And it's one thing I invite us all to take in. When your mind is spinning around and you're trying to figure out and you're wondering who's right in there or who's right out there and why you have a right to be indignant and angry and whatever it is, just remember that it's just the mind spinning its wheels and it's all about going from here down to here. I invite you to do it with me. Here, just feel what goes on in there. I'm not saying that the mind isn't, mind is wonderful, but not as a master. From here, and now bring it down to here. This is something for us to remember. The word in Pali, citta, C-I-T-T-A, is translated as heart, mind. They're both true. I think it was mentioned here. Sometimes people in Asia, they, they point to their, their heart when they're talking about their mind. 
that same time we were there, we, he, he was, uh, I said, what are, you, uh, what are you working on these days? And he said, uh, I'm working on a, um, writing about contentment. And I said, oh yeah? Well, could you just tell me the gist so I don't have to wait for the, for the book? And he said, yeah, um, I'm seeing contentment is plumbing the depths of this moment. To plumb the depths of this moment. Which is really a deep connection to the present. This is being mindful, but not just a surface mindfulness when you are truly connected in a heartfelt way, uh, there's wholeness and fullness and connection and this moment is enough. So that's been a really good mm, instruction for me. I just saw, actually, I just saw a movie on uh, Friday night for the third time when I, I went. It was my day off, and we had movie night. His, uh, this movie that just came out about him called Becoming Nobody. It's really great. His earlier teachings, film archives and stuff, and his more recent um, incarnation after the stroke in the last five, four or five years or so. And it's, it's, a, it's a really well... Uh, named movie because he became nobody as time went on. I knew him, this is 1974, I first knew him and have known him for 45 years. And although he was a clean channel, he could also be very human, which he spoke about all the time. And he had a curmudgeon side. You know, Maharaji used to say, um, Ramdas, love everyone and um, give up anger. Oh, sorry, tell the truth and give up anger. He said, but the truth is that I'm angry. <laughs> he said, it's okay. You just tell the truth and give up anger. And he had this, you know, kicking somebody out in the first class and like that. He didn't hold back. But as he lived his life, especially after the stroke, more and more, he just became lighter and lighter and lighter. I, I put a couple of pictures in the back on the, on the table. One that um, visited him last, uh, just a month before he, he passed away. And he was barely in his body. And his body was, you know, just really filled with, with suffering. And he was just so light. It was like having darshan with Maharaji. Just something else was coming. And he could hardly say any words. I walked in and he said, oh, we're going to have some joy. Those are the main words that, it, that, he, that he saw. And, um, but he was just so, so filled with light. And he became nobody. Went going from being a somebody to a nobody. So his, his main mantra, as I said, in these last years is, uh, I am loving awareness. 
So I wanted to uh, explore what does that mean? Loving awareness. There's love, or there's the heart, and there's awareness, there's the mind. Like I said, citta, heart, mind. Mm. A famous quote that I'm sure most of you have heard from Nisargadat Maharaj, who, who wrote, I am that, or who, uh, his, his dialogues were put in the form of, I am that. Love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Between the two, my life flows. Loving awareness. Just different sides of the, of the same coin, actually, as I see it. This is from um, Shopkar, a great Tibetan um, adept who, who wrote Flight of the Garuda. He says, the mind's true nature is as vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, and ceaselessly responsive. They're all different aspects of the same underlying true nature of the mind. Empty, radiant, wakeful, and ceaselessly responsive, connected and responding to everything around around it. Mm. Who are you? You are loving awareness. Mm. You know, Ramdas spoke in terms of soul a lot and God, even though he was a Dharma practitioner. And uh, the words can can trip us up. The word God, for instance, like when I said in that exchange um, that I had with him, the word God, which is so meaningful to some people and so confusing to others, as I understand it, the word God in Judaism, or my understanding of, say, more Orthodox Judaism, the word God is like a placeholder. It's sometimes in English it would be written G-D because it's so um, inconceivable, incomprehensible. And the word is just a placeholder for that which cannot be named. So don't worry about the words soul, God, they're just pointing to what the human mind has a, a hard time comprehending. Uh, just human beings trying to describe the indescribable. Ajahn Chah, when Jack was uh, leaving the monastery after a number of years, he, uh, he came uh, to Ajahn Chah and he said, do you have any advice? I think I want to teach this stuff. And Ajahn Chah said, uh, yeah, you might call it Christianity. So, 
don't let the words get in the way. And the Buddha would say, is one of his last instructions, go forth and speak in the idiom of the language of the people that you meet. So loving awareness, it, it doesn't sound very Buddhist. Kind awareness. Kindness and presence. But loving awareness, there's something really juicy about it. And Jack actually these days is, teaches retreats about on loving awareness. You know, he, and Jack has gotten it was was spending a lot of time with Ramdas in the last few years, Jack and Trudy. Loving awareness, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive. Like the, the Garuda, the flight of the Garuda, the Garuda bird, the two wings of wisdom and compassion. They both have to go together. And in in our scene, the the three people that really brought this practice to um, to the West, uh, Joseph discovered um, Tibetan practices and bodhicitta after, oh, 25 years, just seeing, oh, how much that rounded everything out and how rich it is to get in touch with the heart. And Jack does all these loving awareness retreats. Sharon does retreats with Krishna Das and uh, doing lots of chanting because she also loves Ninkaroli Baba. And the Buddha was the embodiment of compassion and love as well as wisdom. <clears throat> also, I just want to mention, while I think about it, the, in the Buddhist teachings there were, he talked about wisdom followers and faith followers. And the wisdom followers or Dhamma followers get a lot of airplay of really understanding the nature of mind. But he said, then there are faith followers who um, have faith in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And they have just as sure a path to freedom. It's just a different, different route. It's the root of the heart. So loving awareness. What is love anyway? There's a, a wonderful book that inspired me, has inspired me for many years, called The Universe is a Green Dragon by Brian Swim. And he, he's, an, he's both a th uh, theology um, student and a uh, um, scientist, uh, astro uh, astrophysicist and astronomer, a cosmologist. And he talks about different energies in the universe. And one of these energies he calls in that book allurement, that there's a natural force of connection in this universe. It's one of the basic prime forces of this universe. And it is expressed as gravity, keeps things down, magnetism, within the atom, it's all compacted there, the nucleus, and the, uh, the electrons that spin around stay spinning around the nucleus. There's a force of connection, one of the basic forces of the universe. And in human beings, that force 
can be called love. That we need to connect. And when we don't, when we feel disconnected, it's deeply painful. Like in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, after survival and taking care of your, your basic bodily needs, belonging is the, the next most fundamental need. We need to belong, whether it's feeling that we're, we have family, or our tribe, or friends, or partners. It's too hard to do alone. Even the Buddha said, you can't go off to a cave and just be on your own. You have to go on alms round every day and feel the, the interconnection of, uh, of people supporting you. Even life reproducing itself requires that connection. So it is this mysterious force that is who we are. And in fact, mindfulness shows you this. When you're really practicing, I'm sure you've all experienced this, what mindfulness does is it naturally opens us up. There's an expansion of the mind and the heart and it naturally opens us to a loving heart. Love, compassion, joy, they naturally shine through when the heart is open because there's that spaciousness that is not obscuring our true nature. That's our true nature, is love. As the, the Buddha says, Luminous, luminous is this mind or heart, citta, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand and so do not cultivate this heart-mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way really understands. And so for them, there is cultivation of this heart-mind. You're already luminous. You don't have to find, somehow discover the goodness out there. It's right inside of you, the, the kingdom of heaven within, the, the still small voice within your Buddha nature. This is uh, from uh, Huang Po, great Zen master. Your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It is the nature of suchness. <clears throat> this pure mind or heart, the source of everything, shines forever on and on all with the brilliance of its own perfection. So what our practice here does is it opens us up, creates some spaciousness for that loving awareness to shine through. But it's help, helpful to have in your mind consciously that this is a 
this is something that we can open and invite and recognize when it's here. This is a quote I love from Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment, one of my favorite books from the 60s. <clears throat> it's a thin book. Um, it's a great book. <clears throat> The basic function of each being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative. Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension, understanding, love, whatever we wish to call it. When we are completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness. is what it is. Thanks, John. We have an, a feeling of being one with life. When a being is totally contracted, they are a mass particle completely imploded. To the degree that they are contracted, a being is unable to be in the same place with others. So contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. And in extreme, they have the feeling of being completely insane, of resisting everyone and everything, of being unable to choose the content of their consciousness. Of course, these are just the feelings appropriate to mass vibration levels and one can get out of them at any time by expanding, by letting go of all resistance to what they think, see, or feel. So the practice actually invites that, creates a space for the heart to shine through. And when it does, that feeling of openness, there's a number of different ways for this love to be experienced and directed. One is so deep in us and that is loving the truth. We are wired up to love the truth. And when uh, Kamala was talking about Hiri and Otapam yesterday, when we're out of alignment with, with the truth, we feel off, we feel disconnected. Or when we say, oh, they're really a crooked person. They're out of alignment. Oh, they're, they're really aligned, a real straight arrow. We love sincerity and honesty and authenticity. And when we're around that energy, we relax and we're at ease and we open and we trust. That's why we love hearing the Dharma. You know, you, you might say, oh, another hindrance talk? Oh, and then you hear it, it's like, oh, I love hearing this stuff, you know. Because ah. it speaks to us in something in there. We love to hear the truth. That longing for the truth is deep inside of us. In the in the Pali and the teachings, there's there's one source of of inspiration. It's called Chitta Idipada. Chitta, like heart mind. Idipada, idi like city power. It's a basis of power where when you've touched the Dharma and it's 
touched us very deeply. We fall in love with it and almost everything else pales in comparison, like a moth to a flame. We love it. And that's a beautiful aspect of this expression of loving awareness. Let me see if can find this. This is one of my other teachers, Punjaji, also known as Papaji, who said, um, the desire for freedom is our most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see, but the desire for freedom, once you feel it, is intense and you must respond to it. When you respond, this desire will bring you back home. It will continue to trouble you if it is not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. It's too late for you. <laughs> There's no turning back. As Trungpa Rinpoche said, uh, the spiritual journey is fraught with perils and, and challenges. So consider carefully before you embark on it. But once started, it's best to finish. So this is, this is one aspect of just loving the truth. That's what got you here. And then as you start to look for the truth and really explore the truth, where do you find the truth? That laboratory called you. Where else could you find it? So the Buddha says, this is the laboratory in this fathom long body, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. Discover the basic principles of human experience just by studying this. And as you study it, you start to see not just all the flaws and the hindrances and the, and the, the, the dukkha and the wanting and the anger and the judgments and all of those things that are part of being human. But you keep on looking and you see, oh, what's underneath there? Look who's in there. Wow. And you start to discover this self. That's the good news. That's why it's best to finish it. Don't stop on the hindrance level. Oh yeah, I'm just a mass of hindrances. Keep on going because there's something good underneath there. But sometimes it's hard for us to see in ourselves. And we can so easily or more easily look outward, but when it comes to seeing it inside, it's hard to believe for so many of us. And I'm speaking from experience. And so sometimes we need to have it be reflected back to us. Teachers, mentors, someone who believes in you. And I... I know in a moment things can transform. I had that experience for myself in a, in a turning point in my life when I 
was, I thought I was going crazy on, this is back in the 60s, on some mind exploration. <laughs> and I, and I called for help. I was, ter- it was the, it was the most terrified I'd ever been in my life. I thought I was, I was gone. I was definitely gone. And I called, help! And my, fortunately, my housemate, good buddy, uh, Ricky, and his girlfriend, who I was very close with, Gary, uh, came, and they each took a hand. And I said, don't leave me, don't leave me. And they said, we're not leaving you. Don't leave me. I must have said it about a dozen times, and each time they said, we're not leaving you. We're right here. And at one point, I just saw their love towards me and I believed it and I just let it in. And I saw, oh, they really do love me. They're not gonna leave me. Maybe I'm lovable. That was a turning point in my life. And so we can wake each other up, even if we can't see it. We believe it from, from others. This is from Mayor Baba. Love has to spring spontaneously from within. It is in no way amenable to any form of inner or outer force. Love and coercion can never go together. But while love cannot be forced upon anyone, it can be awakened through love itself. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it, catch it from those who have it. True love is unconquerable and irresistible. It goes on gathering power and spreading itself until eventually it transforms everyone it touches. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it, catch it from those who have it. But actually, I think it's more appropriate to say those who do not, who are not in touch with it, have it awakened from the outside. Like Ramdas said to me, she didn't take your love with you. Your love is just always in there. But we can wake it up in each other. Isn't that amazing? And who does it belong to? No one. It's just love finding itself. It's just love awakening itself through these different beings. Because that's what our true nature is. So there's the, the self-loving kindness for ourself. Then there's that mystery of interpersonal love that can be awakened that's different from from attachment you know the near enemy of loving kindness is attachment it looks like love but it's very different instead of an outflow there's a kind of fear and grasping which just gets in the way but the way I see it we are all Human beings are transmitter-receiver energy units. That's how I think of us. We're always receiving 
and sending, interacting with our environment, and we pick up whatever energy is around. If we're around anger and we're around fear, if we are stronger than that, we can override and calm others down. If we're not, we can get agitated and activated. So this is why it's so powerful to develop your own connection to the goodness and the love within you because then not only are you taking it in from others, but you can actually affect your environment. This is one of Maharaji's main practices and it was one of, it's been one of my practices for decades. He would say, the best form to worship God is every form. Okay, try that on for a practice. Yeah. And what I took it on as is you just keep looking for the good. You just keep on looking for God or that divine in everyone, even if they can't see it. Not that you can get it awakened all the time, but you have a much better chance than if you're looking for what's wrong. And as I often say, just think of how it feels when you sense somebody is, is looking at you and they're judging you, judging all your flaws. You feel flawed, don't you? Or a little small. And somebody else might know all your flaws, but they're just seeing how beautiful you are. It brings that out of you. So you have a tremendous power over your environment by just becoming loving awareness. And one of my main practices that I really invite as if you want to play around with this is that of letting in the love and sending it out. Sometimes it's much easier to see it and let it out than to really let it in. It's one of the harder things that most, that many people need to learn to really, what happens if I really do let in all this love? Is it gonna go? Am I gonna get overwhelmed? Is it safe? But once you start seeing that life loves you. As the, this is a Tibetan practice of seeing everyone as your benefactor. When somebody opens a, a door or smiles at you or says, hi, how are you in your life? Or here you sense some goodwill. Don't miss it. And feel that connection and see that person as an agent of life letting you know that you are loved. It's a great practice. You have to start getting your radar out for it, but once you have your radar out, you will see how much life wants to support you and love you. And as you do, there's so much goodwill coming to you. You can't hold it all, so the only thing to do is to just send it out. And I call it being a meta-recycling machine. But don't miss all the goodness and the love around you. 
be careful and have healthy boundaries and protect yourself from the confusion that's also around you. I'm not saying being naive and uh, because there are many misguided people in this world, but it's just confusion and ignorance. But don't miss all the goodwill coming to you. And as you do this, uh, you know you're gonna be headed in the right direction because not only will you awaken all of the goodness inside of you, but you then start to awaken, awaken it in everyone. That's a pretty good practice. That's a pretty good thing to do with this life. Why not? We need all the love we can get. You are loving awareness. And that's what this practice is about, not just noticing an in-breath and an out-breath. It's seeing that the aspect of ceaselessly responsive is as much a part of awakening as seeing the emptiness of, of it all. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll end with a, a passage on this. This is from Nyoshal Kempo. We're not practicing for ourselves alone. Everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. If we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed in us, and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. You are loving awareness. So let's sit for a moment. evening and uh, the last sitting we'll do some chanting and I'll, I'll read one of my favorite passages from Be Here Now as a little uh, tuck you in uh, bedtime treat. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.